You know, I, I have two grown kids. I have a wife, Tammy, whose mom is celebrating her 85th birthday tonight. I know, I'm in trouble. Uh, I said, yeah, Pete, I'll be glad to speak. Oh, when's my mother-in-law's birthday? Shoot. I did a bunch of projects for her already, so I've made up for it. But, uh, but I have two grown kids. I have a 27-year-old and a 25-year-old. My daughter actually is our middle school pastor at our church, uh, and uh, I had nothing to do with that. There was no nepotism at all. Uh, but I thought it was a great choice on their part. Uh, and she actually serves our church in Edina, and she said, you know, Dad, okay, I'm not a little kid anymore. I'm actually working in Edina in this community. There are going to be people, people on this retreat who I might know or I might meet along the way. Don't tell any embarrassing stories about me. Okay. I'll have to rewrite my talks now, but okay. So my, my kids are praying for you as well. Uh, I, they're both in uh, professional ministry. My son works in Des Moines a huge 17,000 member church, uh, which I would last about one day because it's crazy what they are able to accomplish. And I'm telling you that because as I look out here in this conference center, their worship center has chairs like this, except the only thing is it has cup holders. And so they all have these spaces. And I thought, the one difference is this would be, think about doing like a middle school program in here with wheels on the chairs, and they go up and down. It'd be a nightmare. It'd be a nightmare. It'd be, actually be fun for like five minutes. And then like, okay, we're, let's pray. We're, we're, anyway. uh, my son and daughter both played sports. How many of you have kids that play sports? So all your friends are on the sidelines of sports now, right? Uh, my son was a soccer player. My daughter was a basketball player and a soccer player. Uh, and I loved being the father of a soccer player. And if you ever hear a rumor about Jeff Lindsay that he got kicked out of the Schwann's Cup, it's not a true story. Well, it's not an accurate story. Let's put it that way. Uh, I, I wasn't coaching from the sidelines. I was directively cheering. <laughs> Very different. Very different. But my son also ran track. Any of your kids run track? It is the worst parent sport ever. She's like so mad at me right now. What, is, what does your kid do? 17 different things? In the, mine did one. Actually two, but it was the same thing. He said it was different. He, he, he ran the 200 and the 204 by two by four, whatever they call it. Four by four. The, the second event in a track meet is the 200. The second to the last event <laughs> is the 4 by 200. My son's part was 23 seconds long. I used to say 26, and he corrected me. <laughs> 23 seconds. So track meets last three and a half hours. So you show up in Stillwater, you know, or Hudson, or Duluth, or wherever it is. And you, you, you stand there and whew, he's done. And then you sit down and wander around and eat hot dogs and try to be encouraging of the other athletes. It's boring. <laughs> and then three hours later, he gets up there and he's standing way at the other side of the track. I can't even see his part of it. And 
boom, the drug, 23 seconds, it's over. And then you go home. It's the worst. Although I always told him he was my favorite. Good job. 49, whatever it was, 46 seconds. Um, so he knew that my, his, his, he knew his dad gets a little bored. And he knows that when he gets a little bored, he sometimes gets into mischief. And when he gets into mischief, sometimes things are, well, he would call them inappropriate. <laughs> inappropriate. So, you know, watching track, you know, there's all these different events. The one that caught my attention, and it was just amazing to me, was hurdles. I don't, I mean, you see how I'm built. <laughs> I'm not going to be a hurdler. I can set them up. Matter of fact, as parents, you do kind of set them up sometimes. Uh, but I loved watching these gazelles, you know, run hurdles. And so, uh, inappropriate. You know, I got to know a couple of the uh, hurdlers. Uh, and uh, I remember walking up to this guy. His name was Ben, actually. And I said, Ben, I, how did you decide to be a hurdler? He says, well, it actually was the Olympics. I saw the Olympics, and I thought it would be awesome to do. And I said, you know, I've been watching you run hurdles. And he goes, yeah, it's, it's hard to learn how to do hurdles. I said, yeah, I bet it is. And he says, you know, you bang a lot of hurdles and you knock a bunch of them over. And I said, I got an interesting question for you. No, this is like a junior in high school. And, and here this father is talking to him, which he's wishing he could make that stop right now. <laughs> uh, and, and now I'm going to ask him a question, which he has no idea what genre that's going to come from. So, you know, I could see the anxiety in his face and, and frustration on his face building, but I, that didn't deter me. And so, so I said, I said, I have to ask you this question. I said, I said, so you're a hurdler? He says, yes, I am. Okay. I said, what if, if you decide you're going to be a hurdler and you're going to, you're going to train for it, and you're going to be ready for it, and you've read about it, and you've got coached how to do it, and, and you're all set. And you're lining up for your very first experience with the hurdles. And I said, and the gun goes off, or the coach says go, or whatever, and you run up to that first hurdle, and er, you stop. Puzzled look comes over his face, wishing he could turn invisible at this moment. He says... What? I said, so what if you were to take off running as fast as you could and you ran up to that first hole, and you stopped. I said, would you still be a hurdler? <laughs> I didn't have, I could read his mind at that moment. He's like, that is the dumbest question I've ever heard in my life. Uh, at that point, I told him my last name was Johnson, so he didn't associate him with my kid. Uh, I said, no, seriously. He goes, No. Well, no, no, you wouldn't. I said, well, what would you be? He said, well, he thought for a moment. And then he kind of got pleased with himself. And he said, you'd be a run up to the first hurdle and stop guy. <laughs> I said, yeah, I guess that's what you would be. I said, in order to be a hurdler, you got to get over at least one hurdle. Otherwise, you're not a hurdler. And I thought, you know, Life is like that, especially in our spiritual journey. 
because our spiritual journey is full of all kinds of challenges. I mean, it wouldn't take me long to convince you of that. You think about, I mean, open up the Bible. I mean, that's so clear and, and, and it's easy to understand and so informative to our lives. It works right into our culture and understand. It's perfect. You know, every time we sit and pray, God just answers exactly the way we want it to be prayed, you know, answered. And it's perfect, you know. I mean, being a follower of Jesus, that's, it's, not, it's so easy. No, it's not. It's hard. There's all kinds of hurdles involved with that. But you know one of the things that I found in my journey of faith is that if I don't get over the hurdle that's in front of me, guess what? That's where I'll stay. That's where I'll be. It's only as I pass over that first hurdle and then get a chance to face that next hurdle and then whatever it takes in order for me to build up courage or, or develop some gifts and abilities or my faith grows or whatever that I, gets me over that next hurdle, do I get to face that next hurdle? And, you know, the Bible is filled with little metaphors and it talks about running the race and, you know, run as if you're going to win and all those kinds of things. And it's, it's this notion that there's a place where we are, but there's a place where God wants us to be. Matter of fact, Paul talks about it as that God is at work bringing us on to completion. So there's a place where we are and there's a place where God wants us to be. And the place where God wants us to be is the place where he wants us to experience all of what he intends for us. And that's an amazing thing to think about just for a second. Because some of you have some pretty darn good lives. And you're like, really? Could get better than this? Wow, I think I kind of want that. And some of you are struggling with some things right now. And you're saying, you know what? I kind of would like to be in a different place. And so either way you look at it, that's kind of good news. That A, that there's a place where we are right now and there's a place where God wants us to be and that place where God wants us to be is a place where we could experience the fullness that he desires for us. He being God, he being the one that created us, God, the one that has a purpose and a plan and an understanding who created us, spoke us into being and created us with value and worth and purpose and hope. Yeah. But there are hurdles in the way of us experiencing that, for sure. And if you just thought for a moment, two or three or four, whatever, would come into your mind. It helps to look back and go, oh, well, yeah, but I've gotten over a few hurdles. I, I'm not exactly where I was when I first started this journey. Some would say, well, maybe I haven't gotten too far. Or maybe I just got over the first one, and that was to come on a retreat like this. <laughs> One of the things I'm going to try to do with you during my times is I'm going to either give you a chance to experience again or to experience for the first time some, some ancient prayer practices, some experiences that you could have as you develop your prayer life. This morning, I want to do a guided meditation with you. I want to give you an experience to kind of Pray with images. And you can do this in lots of different ways. You can actually pray through a, a, a scripture passage that creates an image and walk with a disciple or walk with uh, an Old Testament character. And you can kind of meditate and pray through it. So I'm going to guide you on a little meditation this morning. Are you game? All right. You don't have a choice unless you get up and walk out. That'd be rude. So here's what I want you to do. I, w I want you to put both feet on the floor. I want you to kind of just relax. 
get in real kind of comfortable position. I want you to take two or three deep breaths. I mean, not, not like deep, you know. Okay, I'm done. Deep breaths. Yeah, kind of cleansing breaths, as if you're at yoga. Never been there. Just kidding. Now that you're in this comfortable position, Colleen has her hands open in anticipation up front. You can do that. Open your hands in anticipation of what God might have for you. Then I want you to take a deep breath to the count of five, and then I want you to exhale to the count of five. Imagine yourself now walking down a road. It's the path of your life. Imagine what that path looks like. Is it curvy or straight? Is it hilly or flat? Is it wide or is it narrow? Surrounded by trees or by fields? Are you in the mountains? Now look down. Is the path rocky or sandy? Is it dirt? Is it paved? What does it feel like under your feet? Now look up ahead at the path before you. What's in your path? Does it look clear or are there hurdles in the way? Something's in your hands. You've been carrying it a long time. It's something you brought with you this weekend. It's in your spirit. Look at it. What does it look like? What does it feel like in your hands? Is it hot? Is it cold? Is it warm is it smooth is it prickly is it sharp is it rough is it heavy or is it light now look up ahead a figure is moving toward you You can't quite make out who it is. But they seem to know you. 
and their pace quickens as they recognize you. And now you see who it is. It's Jesus. He's coming closer. How do you know it's him? What's the expression on his face as he walks towards you? How do you feel? He says a word of greeting to you. What does he say? How do you feel? And do you say anything back to him? Now Jesus is standing in front of you. Now what is he saying? He's holding out his hands. He wants you to put what's in your hands into his hands. Can you? How does it feel as that object leaves your hands and he takes it? Do you need to say something? Now you and Jesus start to walk together. He's holding that object of yours. And as the two of you walk along, you're talking. Imagine that conversation for a minute. What are you talking about? There's a bench up in front of you there on the side of the path. He invites you to sit to continue the conversation. What are you talking about? What is he saying? Amen. For many of us, our faith is based on a character or characters, biblical, most of them. God, it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit, it's the Trinity, it's disciples, it's and their faithfulness, but it's it, it's people, it's names, it's stories. But sometimes when we actually make it personal by creating actual images, seeing the face of God, seeing the face of Jesus, and literally taking the walk, all of a sudden that which becomes this thing out here that we are trying to do, trying to live up to, trying to experience, also becomes the journey. It becomes the walking with. It becomes personal. Because as you read through the Bible, most of what's in there is personal. It's about real people's lives as they experience God. That's what God's desire is for us, is to experience a personal journey with God. And he's got the great links to create that opportunity for us in his son Jesus. And he gave us his Holy Spirit to help 
us on that journey. Hurdles in the way. Burdens that we carry. Keeps us from experiencing all that God desires for us. Maybe there's some ways this weekend we can begin to acknowledge those things, to take a look at some of those things, and maybe even turn them over to Jesus that help us to leap over that hurdle where we are to experience that, what's next in the journey. That's my hope for me and for you. I want to begin this morning uh, with a passage that's probably familiar to many of you. It's found in Luke 5. And it's uh, a very interesting story. There's a lot going on in it. And I want to unpack a little bit of it with you. And then you'll spend some time in small groups unpacking it some more. I think it's important for us to hear it. Uh, So I'm going to read it to you quickly. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. There's a story for you. I've heard a lot of sermons on this passage. And somehow I think we oftentimes lean towards the success of that story and go, yep, love that story. Do it Jesus' way, nets will be filled. How many of you have been the Christian follower of Jesus long enough to know that's not exactly how that works? <laughs> not exactly. So maybe there's something more to this story that we could look at. But before I get into this passage, I want to think about the setting for a second. The crowd is so large. I almost imagine the crowd is so large that now Jesus is up against the, the water. So how did they get there? Is Jesus kind of out for his morning stroll? You know, he's looking out at the water. And all of a sudden he realizes all the people found him. Is that how he got there? I don't know. Or, or did he back himself up to that spot? Like they're like, Jesus, one more story. Jesus, one more miracle. Jesus, one more, how about some food? Hey, and he's like, <laughs> and all of a sudden he's like, 
oh, uh, nowhere else to go. <laughs> and now they're all crowded around him. I don't know. But the scripture says that there's a crowd there and he's up against the water. So then he asks for Peter's boat. We'll get to that in a minute. The crowd. Have you ever thought about the crowd ever? The crowd. Who's in the crowd? Who are the people that are wanting to hear more from Jesus? You know, crowds are kind of funny, aren't they? Because if you look out onto a crowd, there are people kind of dispersed in different places in a real crowd. Now, there are the people that are kind of like way over there. They're close enough so they can actually hear what's going on. But if anyone were to go, hey, were you there listening to Jesus? Nope, I was inspecting the rocks on the shore. I wasn't, no, I wasn't there. I was, I was way over there. They're kind of a part of the crowd, but they're just on the fringe, just kind of outside, like, you know, hard-pressed hard people. You could say, no, nope, I really wasn't there. Then there's the people that are kind of in the back of the crowd. They're like in the group, but they're in the back. You know, you just have to show up to church and you can see who those people are. There were people that came early this morning so they could get back rows. <laughs> they're the smart people. No, I'm just kidding. Because if it goes bad, they can sneak out quick. No, they're the people in the back. They're really, if, if it doesn't go well, they can get out. You know, if it doesn't go my way, if I don't like what they're saying, I don't have to go, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I can just turn around and walk away. Then there's the people kind of in the middle of the crowd. Safety in numbers. Don't we say that, parents? Safety in numbers. They're in the middle of the crowd. So when you look out, you can't, you can't really see who they are. They're just one of the faces in the crowd. Then there's the people, like Colleen, right up front. I want to hear what they have to say. I don't want to miss anything. I want to, I want to get there and I want to be engaged. I want to pay attention. I want to know what's going on. Jesus is speaking. You're in the crowd. Rhetorical question. Where are you? Right now, today, where are you in the crowd? Are you back there, kind of? <laughs> My spouse may be come. There might be a few of you. Welcome. Glad you're here. There's some of you that are sitting in the back, metaphorically speaking. Kind of half in, kind of half out. Maybe. I'm not sure. Some of you are sitting in the middle of the crowd. You've been to a lot of these things. Regular church attenders, got it all squared away, been to BSF. <laughs> I'm not looking at anybody specifically now. When I, say, I just realized, bad illustration. Uh, what did he say about BSF? Uh, love BSF. Uh, but kind of got it all, tiger by the tail. I'm kind of right there. Know enough, good to go. But maybe there are those who need to be in the front row. Go to that next place. Kind of push myself a little harder. Get up there close. Ain't no way that the person speaking ain't going to recognize the people in the front row. They're right there. Even if they got bad eyes. They're going to be right there. Going to be clearly recognized as a part of the group. Interested in what's going on. See the expressions. My encouragement to you. 
this weekend. Just consider moving to a different place in the crowd. From wherever you are, and it's, wherever you are, it's fine. Maybe that's the first hurdle you've got to overcome this weekend for you to get to that next place. So Jesus is there by the seashore. He's speaking to this crowd, some milling around going on. He, he, he can't talk to them all. There's no way. So he needs to create some space. And so he looks down the way and he says, well, he was already standing in the guy's boat. So, hey, Simon, would you, uh, would you push this out a little further so I can use this boat to speak to these people? Probably about 15 years ago, I'm driving down Chicago Avenue uh, in South Minneapolis. I'm, I'm at 56th in Chicago, which is where Haney's used to be, right across from Todd Park. Some of you know where that is. Do you know where that is? I grew up in that neighborhood. Uh, and I've stopped the stop sign. You know, stop signs in little residential neighborhoods, you know, you're not like stopping and spending a lot of time at that intersection. I literally slowed down, stopped, you know, did the stop. And as I'm just ready to hit the gas and pull away, I mean, we're talking about an instant. All of a sudden I hear a knock, knock on the window, the door opens, and this little old lady gets in and sits down in my car. My first thought was, if she robs me, that's going to be so embarrassing. <laughs> no, don't rob me. And she was 92, and she walked with the walker and got away from me. Anyway, um, she sat, and I, I looked at her, and I'm like, hi. And she said, you know, I'm trying to get to Abbott Hospital. Would you give me a ride? I'm like, yes. Yes, I will. I said, I mean, you don't know who I am. I mean, what? She goes, well, that's just kind of how I do it. She goes, I could wait for the bus. And if the bus comes, I get on the bus. But if not, I just don't like to wait. And so I look and see who I might trust. And then I just get in their car. <laughs> I called my mother and I told her, scolded her. I said, you will never do this. You know, so. But... It's kind of like, what, what other choice do you have? Well, Simon's in this same situation. He, he looks over and Jesus is in his boat. You know, he's in his boat. Don't mess with a guy's boat. And he says, Simon, can I, can I borrow your boat? I'm already in your boat. Push it out. Now, the question I have is, and the scripture doesn't say, did he get in the boat with Jesus and had one like, like, like gondola or, you know, and he kind of pushed his, so now he's trapped in the boat with him? Or, or, you know, he's probably just wearing a little loin kind of cloth. So does he just walk him out a little bit deeper and then go back to his nets that he's washing? We don't know. It's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Because if he's in the boat, the story makes kind of sense. And if he's not, then you have to kind of stretch a little bit to get there. But anyway, Jesus is in his boat and he's teaching. And Simon's clearly close enough where he can hear what's going on. And Jesus gets done teaching and he looks over at Simon. Is he in the boat with him? I don't know. Is he unsure? Is he waiting for Jesus to get done so he can put the nuts back in the boat? I mean, we don't really know. But we do know is that Jesus addresses Simon. He says, hey, Simon, let's go out into some deep water. Let's put the nets down. And let's catch some fish. It's a very interesting place for Peter to be. Why? Because Peter says, you know, we were out all night. Now, you have to think about this for a second. This is a fisherman. 
He's just now admitting out loud that he failed. I mean, fishermen are fishermen because they catch fish. He didn't catch fish. He was out all night. That's what the pastor says. And he didn't catch fish. That's a little embarrassing. I got to believe. I, I, I guess I didn't know where to go. I guess I didn't have my nets down low. I, I guess, you know, I, what? He didn't catch fish. And now Jesus is saying, let's go and see if we can catch some fish. You're, he's going to embarrass me some more. But that's not where the passage stops. The passage goes, but because you say so. Why would he say that? What was it that Jesus, we don't know. What was it that Jesus had said to the crowd? What was it that he had done in that setting where Simon went, well, okay, well, because he says so. All right, does he not want to embarrass Jesus? By saying, no, I, I know more than you know about fishing anyway. We don't really know, but out of respect for Jesus, acknowledging something, he says, okay, because you say so. And so they put out. And now he says, put your nets on this side. And that's where, of course, the story gets really exciting. You know, and, and you know, you can kind of imagine, we, we live in a Disney type of world, so you kind of start to imagine, did Jesus look out and kind of see our little ripple that, Peter hadn't seen before, and he goes, uh-huh, there's fish there now. Or did he do the little magic, touch the water, I'm God, fish come to me, wait, not yet, now put the nets in there. I mean, we don't know. But what we do know is he put the nets in the water, and now he's catching fish. So many fish. So many fish that he has to ask for help. So it's a little overkill. <laughs> Peter, I just wanted to acknowledge the fact that, you know, if you let me acknowledge your gifts and abilities, if you entrust them into my care, if you, if you follow the way I will lead you now with these gifts, abilities, and talents, then you're going to experience kind of more. But <laughs> Jesus does some serious overkill. He's like, not only is his boat ready to sink, he gets somebody else to come over, their boat's about ready to sink, and so now there's two boats ready to sink, and there's all these fish. And Peter responds with this miraculous experience. How does he respond? Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. You know, that happens a lot in our journey of faith, is that we don't even really want to expect God's goodness in our life. We don't really want to expect that God might want to do something in us and through us and with us. That We, we could really experience the fullness that he desires for it because, you know, we know us. You know, when no one else is looking, the doors in the bathroom's closed, the facades have all come down, we look at each other, ourselves, and we go, yeah, I know who I am. I'm not spinning any plates, I know. And of course, God knows that person too. So because of that, the hurdles in our life, those things that we carry that keeps us from experiencing God's fullness, the sin that's in our lives, we, kind of, we don't really expect for God to do those kinds of things in our life. But here, Peter is confronted with the reality is that that's exactly what's happening. He didn't even want to put his boat out there. He didn't even want to do it. But yet, he gets this amazing reward for his faithfulness. So much so. How's the story end? 
they drag these boats. Now these guys are fishermen and they've got this huge catch. It might be like one they've never ever had before, two big full boats of fish. And what do they do? Their experience is so transforming that they leave it behind. Fishermen who leave fish behind and they go and follow Jesus. It's a great story. It's a wonderful story. It's my story. It's, it's your story. One, that God knows us and how he has created us. And he desires to use that which he's in, placed in our lives, those things that make us uniquely us for his purposes. Peter gets no credit for catching those fish. God does. Peter recognizing that it was God's faithfulness that provided those fish to the great abundance recognizes he doesn't deserve that, which we don't, but thank you for God's grace and mercy. We still get it. And he is transformed by that experience in such a way where he says, I can't keep doing this anymore. I can't keep doing that, which is less than what God desires for me. I need to follow him. Now, for Peter, that means leaving his boats and leaving his nets and literally going and following. For some of it, sometimes it's just a turning from this direction to this direction or from this direction to this direction. Sometimes it's as simple as that. This passage is a great encouragement for us to face those hurdles in our lives, those disappointments, those shortcomings, those failures, those frustrations, those dis places where we go, I, I don't see God at work. That will free us to take another run at that hurdle that keeps us from experiencing that next place where God wants us to be. I know that transferring whatever it is that you've been carrying, whatever it is, into God's hands also makes us lighter for the leap. God does desire for your nets to be full to experience all of what he intends. Be a hurdler. Run the race. And all that that may mean. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the ways that you have opened up your words to us. Help us to to move from maybe the peripheral of the crowd to maybe up close, that we might hear from you in new ways. And God, we ask that you would help us to release those things that we carry around that helps us, hinders us from experiencing the fullness that you desire for us. Bless these folks as they go into their small groups and discuss what this might mean. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.